a bunch of books written by a bunch of people that are written from a standpoint of, if you do this, this, and this, you can be just like me, and my life is incredible, which is bullshit. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to the show. Our guest on this episode is Brendan Dilley, author of Still Breathing, The Wisdom and Teaching of a Perfectly Flawed Man, a book which aims to assist its readers in living a more passionate and purposeful existence. Be aware that this is not your mom and dad's self-help book. It will entertain, inspire, and potentially offend you. Hi, Brendan. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here, Eric. Great. Thanks for joining us. Our podcast is called The One You Feed, and it's based on the old parable where there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson, and he says, in life, there's a battle going on inside all of us all the time, and that battle is between two wolves. One is a good wolf who represents things like kindness and love and joy, and the other is a bad wolf who represents things like hatred and greed and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second and he says, well, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So this podcast is based on that parable. And what we, what we like to start off with is asking people, what does that parable mean to them in both their life and in their work? First of all, I like the parable. Um, I think it, uh, it kind of emphasizes that, that all of us do have uh, a lot of different um, characteristics, I guess is the word I'm looking for, um, such as the anger, the jealousy, the greed, and resentment, and then as well as the, the joy and love and hope and, and some of those things. Um, and I think that it it does kind of emphasize that is what's going to manifest, uh, whether that's more of the things that we all uh, hope, which is the, you know, the empathy, truth, and peace, and, and all these types of things, or uh, whether we're, we're obsessing and, and uh, emphasizing, um, you know, the ego or lies and uh, inferiority and, and whatnot. Um, so I definitely can identify and, and I agree with the parable in that regard. Um, one of the things I guess I struggled with this was I'm not really a big fan of, of duality and I, I guess I'm not a, a big believer either. And so I guess for me, 
I suppose for me, the, the only part that maybe uh, didn't resonate with me was the idea that there is this battle, uh, that there's an actual battle going on within us or that, that there's two different people in, within us. I think that uh, for me, and one of the ways I've been able to lead my life and, and, and kind of have some inner peace is the acknowledgement of all of these different um, characteristics uh, and I do my best not to judge them uh, differently from one another. I don't know if that makes sense, but so for me, I guess the the idea isn't that there's this battle, uh, you know, over one over the other. More or less, the the acknowledgement that all are within us, and we get to choose which which of these uh, characteristics we express on a day to day basis. That's a great segue into. Uh, I was I've been spending a lot of time with your book. Um, and one of the major themes that I think comes through really clearly over and over in the book is really being true to yourself and being who you are as opposed to what other people want you to be. And so kind of what you're saying there ties right back into that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's really, I think, you know, and I've been around the self-help industry for a lot of years. My mother is a motivational speaker and, and author, and I've been around it since I was about the age of 11. I started giving, uh, you know, um, testimonials and things like that by the age of 12. And I was, you know, uh, speaking here intermittently uh, through my team that, you know, heard different events and whatnot. And I did a lot of emceeing and stuff in my early twenties. And the one thing that I, I've always had an issue with within the, the self-help genre, or even just in, in general, when you, you talk to people about, you know, I don't know if I want to necessarily limit it to self-help, but people who are trying to improve themselves in any regard is just how incredibly hard they are on themselves. Um, and how judgmental we are of self. And it's almost like, it's almost counterproductive uh, because there's such a, there's such an obsession with uh, kind of avoiding negative quote unquote uh, personality traits or characteristics. It's like this avoidance or a harsh judgment of rather than an open acknowledgement. And, um, and then you can actually choose what you want to express versus judging yourself to the point that you continue to manifest it. So um, there's definitely, that theme is definitely throughout the book. Yeah. And so I would ask you, you talk about how important it is to sort of be who you are, reflect all the aspects of yourself. And, um, I think that comes fairly naturally to some people, but I think a lot of people struggle with it also. And I'm curious, what would you, what would you say to people who have spent years of their life sort of hiding certain parts of themselves or who they are? How do they start getting back on the track to being fully themselves and expressing that? Um, I think first and foremost, and I, and I push this and I, you know, I was a personal trainer for a number of years and I, I think really in, and I apply it in every regard of my life and that is forgiveness and it's being able to forgive yourself for not being perfect. Um, you know, and it, it sounds cheesy to some people, oh, you know, and I got forgiveness exercises strong throughout the book as well, but it really is the basis of everything. And, and uh, I'm going to use a really brief example, but even like in fitness, when I would work with my obese clients, I would begin teaching them rapid forgiveness based on the foods that they eat um, from one meal to the next. You know, they'd come in and tell me, all right, I, you know, they would be completely down in the dumps, devastated because they ate a cheeseburger. And my response 100% of the time to everybody who came in and said, I, I had a cheat meal, it was good for you. I always changed the context from what they were talking about or, or the way that they felt about that mistake. And I said, good for you. Like, what do you mean good for me? And well, how did it taste? And, they'd say, and I'd ask them, I said, okay. Now, you know, then we discussed the, the uh, result or what, how, what effect that might have on their body, but 
the forgiveness is forgiving yourself for your past transgressions, whether it was 10 minutes ago, 10 hours ago, or 10 years ago, is critical to being able to move forward in kind of creating a new context for your own life. And, and that's, that's really the, uh, one of the main themes of the book that I, I kind of touch on quite a bit. So who would you say this, this book is for? Because you do, you do sort of talk about, hey, this is not necessarily the book for somebody who is uh, doing really well and, uh, you know, driving a great car or having a great life. Who, who is this book targeted to? Um, you know, and that's a good question. And I wrote it for, for more, you know, the generic answers, I wrote it for everybody because I felt like anybody could grab it. But if you really want my honest opinion, I'm 31 years old and I grew up in sort of that, the hip hop generation. Uh, I grew up in lost in perfect, uh, you know, uh, perfect, you know, uh, I guess, uh, home life and stuff. I had a fantastic mother, but I grew up around, even though in my home, it was pretty good. You know, I, uh, my parents did divorce and things like that. Uh, but I had a good upbringing, but I, I, my friends and the people I grew up in, the town I grew up in, was relatively lower middle class to lower class. And I tended to gravitate towards some of the more um, challenged kids. I don't know why. I just always have kind of identified with the struggle. And maybe it was you know, my single mom, you know, single mom at 13 that I was raised by. So for me, I wrote the book basically targeting, you know, I wanted it for something that this generation can grab. I wanted something that someone age 17 or 45 could grab in, in identify with not only the humor, but also uh, a lot of the concepts in it. I wanted something that was a little bit raw and I wanted something where, uh, you know, when I wrote it, I didn't want to alienate anybody. I didn't, I, I did my best to not, uh, to not anyone based on what, whatever mistakes they may have been, which is why I poured so much of my own, uh, life and, and mistakes into it. Yeah, it's very, uh, the, the subtitle of the book is the wisdom teachings of a perfectly flawed man. So you're very, you're very clear, clear about that. And, and I do think the way you write is, uh, is, has a certain, um, tone and a feel to it that, that, um, probably reaches that demographic pretty well. Um, one thing that comes up on this show kind of over and over is this idea of comfort versus happiness or comfort versus doing the things that are important in your life. And I think that that seems to show up a lot in your book also. Um, how, how does someone stay aware of, of those choices and, and keep themselves moving towards the right ones? You know, I think one of the things that, and it took me a long time to realize this, and you're talking about right and wrong choices, which I really think it mostly comes down to the choice. I mean, we, we can't really judge the choices until we see the end result, and we're always looking backwards and going, oh, it was a bad, bad choice, or, you know, it was a good choice. And we, you know, we think about what may have been gained from it. You know, for example, you know, I'm separated. I have two, uh, two women that you know, I've got children with, and, and I could easily look and go, wow, it was not a good choice based on some of the things I, I had to endure <laughs> from it. Um, but then... You know, I really can't uh, be too too harsh of my choices because it allowed me to learn so much, and from that pain, I was able to to help other people. And so, the one thing with with choices, I really I try to get everybody you know that I, I talk with, and one of the things that I preach is to get away from the idea that that you're going to make a wrong choice. I think as long as you're honoring your own yourself and you're not uh, deviating from your own. Um, kind of code, whatever that code is, as long as you're feeling like you're, you're honoring yourself and you're not going 
uh, outside of your code, then you're going to be good. I think, I think you're going to, you know, you can, you can live with the mistakes even when you make them because you know, you had your heart and your, your, um, you know, you're authentic in, in, in the choice and you had your heart in the right place at the time that you, you made the decision. Yep. And I, I totally relate with the good versus bad, that, that, that delineation. I usually, I've always preferred the, you know, there are skillful actions or unskillful actions, depending on what you're trying to do. One of the things you talk about, though, is to be to make sure that you're being that your daily actions are being true to your bigger goals and your deeper desires. And I think that's kind of where I'm leading with that is what are the things people do to make sure that what they're doing that day, because it's easy to fall into comfort mode. It's easy to fall into, I'm just going to watch TV again tonight. How do people keep Mm -hmm. themselves sort of focused on, hey, there's a bigger goal I have, or there's more I want out of life than is is right in front of me, and I'm going to have to work to get there. You know, and it's really interesting you say that because one of the things that, uh, you know, I talk about this with people, uh, you know, in my day-to-day life, and I, you know, I talk about it in the book. Here's, here's what I meant. I know exactly what quote you're referring to as far as make sure your daily action is consistent with what your, your dreams and goals are. It's not necessarily that I'm telling you to make sure you're taking action every day to reach your dreams. Obviously, that's if you're serious about your dreams, then that's what you're going to do. What I'm saying is if you're not going to, if your daily action doesn't match the dream or goal, what do you have to do? Do you need to adjust the dream or goal to be more realistic or consistent with who you are at that exact time in your life? Or do you need to adjust your daily action because you're being lazy? So it's more about really being honest with ourselves about what we're doing. And what I mean is if you're going to sit on your butt every day and watch television and you're not going to do anything, you know, after work or whatever, and then you're going to go to work and you're, my point is if you're going to do that, don't complain about it after the fact, like just at least get to a place where you can be honest with yourself. Like, Oh, you know, Brendan, why didn't you ever achieve X, Y, Z goal? Well, I didn't achieve it because I, I, I chose, I made a conscious decision to not pursue it actively, you know, it, it, rather than, uh, you know, a lot of people will complain and uh, they kind of begin to resent their, their own lives and they do all these things rather than if they had just, stopped and got honest about it. And what normally ends up happening when you do get real honest about why you're not achieving your dreams or why you're not achieving your goals, one of two things happens. One, you realize, you know, maybe I'm not the guy who's supposed to achieve that dream or goal or two more. And hopefully this is the more likely to two. Wow. I've got to, I've got to really think about what I'm doing so I can actually become this person that can achieve these types of dreams and goals. And so that's kind of what, what I mean when I, when I uh, use that quote in the book. D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to maybe get into your story a little bit. There's there's a couple different parts of it that I think uh, – uh, would be would be interesting for for the listeners. One is you describe. Uh, I think it's a job you had, and and you describe it's sort of the place where you you hit absolute uh, bottom for you and really learned a lot about humility. Can you tell us a little bit about that job? Maybe some of uh, what happened there and what that moment of uh, I think you described it as a bottom and and teaching you humility was. Yeah, um, you know I get so many comments in the book in regards to that job. I worked as a waiter at a nudist resort and um, I had worked in the food service industry only a couple of times when I was younger, um, 18 and 19 years old. Um, and at that time it was almost, you know, it was like whatever, you know, I, I did uh busser work and some other things like that. Um, but I was at, at this point when I got that job, I was 27 years old. Um, I had just uh, separated from my uh, girlfriend at the time. We had two daughters. One was uh, turning four in, in like a week or two. And then the other one was, um, 18, we were 18 months, 20 months old. So these were very small children. I was becoming a single dad. We had, uh, shared custody, but at that point I actually had the girls, uh, Monday through Friday. And then, and my ex at the time had, had them on the weekend. So I really had to get creative with the jobs that I chose. And I chose, well, not only that, the, the economy was absolutely horrendous and I couldn't find work. I was living in Sacramento and it was, uh, June of 2009 and there was no work. And I didn't find an ad uh, for a, a nudist resort, uh, but it didn't say that. It said it was a, a clothing optional resort, and it was a waiter position, so I knew it would be cash at the end of every day that I could buy groceries and do these types of things with. And uh, to say it was humbling would be an understatement. Um, I certainly am not judging people who choose to, to go to the resorts and be naked and whatnot. It's not really what humbled me. What humbled me was having... Um, Having people, you know, and I was very fit. And at this point in my life, at, at that time, I, I had a very successful personal training business, and I myself was extremely fit. And you know, um, you know, I felt like I had my life pretty well together, aside from what had just occurred. And to have to stand and be berated by not only you know the customers, managers who were all, you know, just it was really just it was hard. It was it, it was just such a humbling experience. And you know, I'm I'm a bit of a uh, you know, I don't want to say a high I'd have mellowed out a lot, but I'm, I'm certainly a fighter. And, and, uh, it was the first time in my life I couldn't fight. I, I had to take it because there were no other jobs available. I had no other options financially. And so things I normally would have stuck up for myself on, I had no choice, but to bite my tongue, um, you know, kind of quiet myself and, and, 
and just really take it. And so some of the things that happened there, you know, I have a bunch of funny stories in the book. I don't necessarily know that they're appropriate for the podcast, but you know, oh, they're um, appropriate. Okay. Yeah. Cause I have no, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, man, you know, if you read that chapter, you know, it, it's, you know, I mean, things like, uh, you know, I had a woman slap a $20 bill down on the, uh, the counter, uh, that was, she was a fairly heavy set woman and it must've been about 105 that day. And I had, uh, gave her the best service I possibly could. And she was a pretty nice woman, but at the end of her, her meal, um, typically was, you know, the people there would charge it to their room, uh, because they didn't carry cash or change for obvious reasons. Well, this woman did carry cash and it was under her massive gargantuan boob. It was the nastiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And she slapped it down on the counter and said, you know, keep the change. <laughs> Me and my coworker looked at each other like, dude, that's a $3 tip. It's so not worth it. You know, <laughs> I actually uh, tricked my manager into picking up. I'm like, Hey man, can you break this 20? He came over and he's like, Oh, this thing is nasty. This thing is much, we're just under so many balls all day. And uh, it was disgusting, but we, uh, we had a good laugh. But I mean, things like that, I mean, I think I put three or four stories in the, from the from what happened at that place in the book, but there were so many more. I mean, I had so many instances where, you know, I had these really just heavy set, older, just angry, you know, customers, which I'm sure all people who have worked in the restaurant industry have dealt with. But the difference is, like, in a normal restaurant, you deal with them because you're like a normal customer or whatever. But in this instance, they're, they're all completely naked. So it's like it almost takes the level of like, you know, embarrassment to another level for you. If you're the, if you're the waiter, cause they're like yelling at you or they're berating you and you're just looking at them like I'm getting yelled at by this naked 50 year old man. And it's a, it was a real mind job, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm still, I feel so like blessed for having even been able to land that job and for them to even give me an opportunity with you no know, waiting experience because uh, it, it literally allowed me to survive for, for five months. So yeah, you describe a uh, a time where you were taking a meal out to somebody outside. Do you want to tell us that story? <laughs> if you want to hear, man, yeah, it was that was my first day on the job. My first day on the job, I um, they you know we had this. It was a restaurant, and I actually was required to wear a polo shirt and dress shorts. So it was like it was it was a nice restaurant. It wasn't um, what you might be picturing. I don't, I don't know, but for me, you know, it was a it was a pretty nice restaurant. And there was a pool decking um, that was outside, and I wasn't aware, but they said, you know, Brendan, we, we are also re- re- uh, responsible to bring through the patrons who are out on the pool, out by the pool. And, um, and so I was like, oh, okay, great, you know. And, and so that first day, I was kind of following along with the guy, and, and uh, I had brought a couple of drinks um, out to the pool, but it was like right towards the, the gate entrance. And so it wasn't, uh, I didn't really get too into it. And at this point, my first day, I was really uncomfortable with all the naked people. I did dealt with it. But my first day was still very much a shock. I mean, it's, it's something you're not really prepared for. Um, after about right. three days, you're just have adjusted, but day one, not so much. Well, I'm walking out there with a, uh, I believe it was a drink order, a food order, maybe both. I don't remember now, but I'm walking out there and, um, they kind of have these steps. So the pool kind of sits at the base and then, the the different levels of where they have the actual uh, uh, lawn chairs and stuff where people can can it kind of elevates as you walk away from the pool like uh, and it circles the pool like that and so I had my eyes down deliberately trying to avoid you know eye contact or even really just seeing any of these naked people 
man, I was, <laughs> I was walking and I see this woman and she it, it, it told me, you know, there's one out there with a blue hat on. You need to go find her and take her her food and her drinks. And I'm like, okay. So I spotted the blue hat right when I got to the gate and she was kind of far off in the distance. So I had my eyes down as I'm walking towards her. I glance up and I see the blue hat again. And I'm like, not too far away. And I'm stepping up uh, on these steps and then as they rise, I, 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 the first thing I saw was her feet. And so I'm like, okay, I think this is her. And she was laying face down on a, on a lawn chair. And I saw her feet for about a split second. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is her. And as I stepped up onto the step, you know, the, the rise, man, her, her legs were completely wide open. Um, she was face down and I could see everything. Like her, her ass, like literally was like, feet from like where my face was because you know, the face right. And so like, I, I, I mean, and in that moment, like I startled her. I'm like, man, and I'm like, cause I'm shocked. So I'm like, Oh my God, there's an asshole. Like I just see this one. <laughs> I'm not expecting to see this. And she's like, excuse me. And then, and then it's like, but my eyes hadn't got a chance to move yet. So oh, it, was, it was disgusting. I startled her. She kind of clinched and, um, and she's like, oh, hi. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I give her food or drinks or whatever. She gives me money. I'm walking back, and I'm like, that was the first time ever I can honestly say I met somebody, like, butthole first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, you might have someone on their shoulder. You might see their legs first. But never where the first thing you actually see is, like, that. It was it was hysterical. Like, it was, like, in my head, I'm like, this is... <laughs> This has to be the most surreal thing that's ever happened on the face of the planet. And, uh, yeah, that, that story never, it never left me. That one stuck to me because it was the funniest thing I've seen. <laughs> the, uh, the, there's, there's great stories in that section. The thing that, that at the, you, you, you end that section though, you talk about being sort of talked down to by this, this naked man and how you took it and said that it was one of the proudest moments of your life because, you put your kids in that moment ahead of your ego and your pride. And I thought that was, that was touching. And the other, the other theme that's in the book an awful lot is really the love you have for your children and how central they are uh, to your life. Um, You've got a piece of advice in there, a chapter that basically says, you know, it's the chapter starts off with just don't fuck up your kids. Can you tell us a little bit about that section? Yeah. In, in, um, God, you know, it's funny is my buddy sent me a, a link just today about, you know, I guess a, a woman had just published a, a, um, an article on uh, Huffington Post or one of those on the websites or something that and it was a similar theme. He was like, he was concerned, you know, <laughs> being ripped off, but she had similar language, I guess. I, I, I'm pretty consistent with the fucks throughout the book, but 136 of them, I believe to be exact. <laughs> but, uh, but the uh, theme of that uh, chapter is, really about not projecting your own bullshit on your kids. I think that most people carry a lot of their own bad behaviors from their childhood that they couldn't deal with properly. And then they immediately, they mean, I, I think, I think most people aren't really critical thinkers or they're not really, uh, maybe they, they are completely unaware of self or what, but I think, uh, maybe I don't want to say most people, but quite a few people, I mean, I can't really mix words here, but they, um, they don't ever stop to think why they say or do the things that they do. Like, I'm a very strict parent. I'm extremely like my kids know where the line is at. Um, and some people are like, Oh my God, like you don't back down. And I'm like, no, like that's the line. There's a certain, I, I hold, 
hold them to the same standard that, you know, and all of them get the same exact treatment. And really they have seen treatment almost regardless of age. Once, you know, once my son Phoenix was past the age of about one, I started just dialing him in on what, what's expected in that and of as far as his behavior in the world, how he treats other people, um, his interactions and whatnot. It's not that I don't want them all to be free with their, uh, their personalities and their self-expression and all that stuff. But what I don't want, I don't want kids that are bullies or, or, uh, that are spoiled or, you know, these are the things I'm like, these are the things I can, I can correct and, and show them now. And the end result's been pretty amazing. I think I'm, I'm, I feel like one of the most lucky men on the planet for having three just phenomenal kids. But I think a large part of that is that, uh, even when I screw up with my kids, right, I, I do my best to be very, very, very analytical of myself in, in analyzing my reactions and my interactions with them. And, and, you know, there's sometimes where I'm like, man, is that too harsh? And I'll, I'll consciously think about it. You know, am I projecting something from my own childhood? And if the answer is yes, I go back, I apologize, and I deal with it appropriately. And if it's no, then I, I stay the course, and I recognize that this, this is just one of those times I've got to be a little harsher than normal. Um, but nonetheless, is I do my best not to bring any of my junk towards them. Like, I just enjoy watching them be themselves and, and watching the way that they kind of uh, – express themselves and the different creative things that they do and their sense of the humor and whatnot. Yeah, that that not projecting your own stuff onto your kids is really challenging, even when you're conscious of it. I, I have um, uh, a son and a stepson, 15-year-old boys, and, and so it, it is, you know, I, I wrestle with that. I do think that that piece of apologizing to your kids and going back and saying you're wrong is such a powerful piece of modeling for them to say, yeah, we all get it wrong and it's important to acknowledge it and, and deal with it. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Another thing in the book that I really liked is... I think we all know that the negative energy of people around us sometimes can really be challenging in in keeping ourselves positive and and moving in the right direction. And you've got a technique in the book you call recycling energy. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, I think this is something I've uh, you know I'd love to sit here and tell you I uh, I wrote it down. I perfected this this thought process. Most of what I learned in the book, and this is the part that really people get really kind of like wow. Um, I don't really have any formal training. I didn't go to school for psychology and I certainly didn't do any like uh, Reiki classes when it comes to energy. <laughs> um, this is sort of, you know, uh, I think most of what comes from the book is obviously I have a phenomenal, uh, parent, you know, the parents that raised me and a mother specifically that, 
that uh, emphasized self-help and, and kind of personal growth and things. And I read tons of books growing up and, and all that kind of fun stuff. And, and uh, even in my 20s, I, I read quite a few books. And But mostly I tried to apply everything. I'm a real big fan of taking what you, you hear and then applying it to your life, but I'm not trying to get too far off topic. But specifically about recycling energy is um, I try to do my best to, you know, a lot of people will, how do how, how I explain this? All right, so you know how you have someone come up to you and they're like dumping on you about their day, right? And mm-hmm. most people, even if they don't agree with the person dumping on them, like they could absolutely staunchly disagree with them, but they'll sit there and just take it and they'll nod their head. And it's like the, I guess it's like the courteous thing to do, right? It's like, I'm being polite <laughs> by listening to you spew your nonsense, even though I think it's utter shit. Um, especially when it's someone like, you know, they could have avoided the problem, right? They, they're their cause. So what I do, and I do this with everybody, whether it's my family, friends, or my kids, I start turning it around. I do it real, real, uh, real deliberately, and I just start asking them questions, kind of redirecting them back towards their own interaction with it. So if they're complaining about work, I'll, I'll ask probing questions like, uh, if so you're complaining about somebody who interacts with them in a certain way at work, I'll say things like, oh, well, how did that make you feel? They'll keep unloading. Uh, okay, well, well, could you do anything different? And I'll start in my, my, it's not that I'm trying to judge. It's not, I'm not trying to do anything other than get them thinking about their own, uh, kind of, I want them to be a little more, you know, self-aware trying to get them to think consciously about, you know, I didn't really even stop to think whether I could have handled it differently. And it's not, I'm not doing it to be a jerk and I'm not doing it to be like, yeah, you're always wrong. But sometimes you, you know, I don't want to take on their stress. I don't want to, take on their negativity and the way that I do it is just sort of I'm like, Hey man, you know, you can spew and I'm a good listener and I'll let you send your bullshit this direction. But once you're done and I've got a chance to hear it all out and I've let you go, uh, you know, I'm going to start asking questions. I'm going to start breaking it down. And that's kind of, you know, that's one of the things I think that uh, I've been blessed with in my life. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at finding, you know, what people are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. It's one of the reasons I, I do what I do now for a living, not just with the book, but in my, you know, corporate world. And, um, and I think that's sort of how I also protect myself from their negativity. And, and I am not perfect, by the way, I got sucked into some nonsense today with a, you know, an a, a, a employee coworker situation. And, and, um, you know, it had me heated for about 30 minutes and then I had to stop and I'm like, damn, dude, I'm like, am I really mad or is this about someone else's bullshit? And I stopped and I thought about it and I was sitting, you know, sitting at the desk and I'm like, man, like, this is not me. And then I, you know, kind of, thought about the interaction and I realized, you know, this isn't, this isn't my deal. This person's clearly venting off her stuff. And, uh, and I got to recognize that. And once I recognized that it, it made it incredibly easy, uh, to just let it go, like literally in the moment, let it go and move on and, and continue being productive. Yeah, that's, uh, I, that's a big challenge, at least for me is, is the negative energy of other people and, and feeling like either I need to fix it or that somehow it's going to, infect me or something. And I think your, your, your method there that you described is really, is really helpful. And, and I, I do really like a lot of throughout the book and in this conversation, really, you keep coming back to, Hey, you're just a, you're a regular guy like everybody else. And, um, you're not perfect. And I think that's in the, I'm not a fan of the word self-help, but in the, you know, in the, <laughs> in the community of people who are trying to improve themselves to some degree, right? The, the, the guru complex can be really damaging sometimes. And, and we've, we've made a, an effort to get people on the show who, 
who don't really uh, do that. And I think you're a great example of that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I'm right there with you, you know, and, and I talked about it in the book and my mom, you know, mom's one of the most amazing, authentic people you'll ever meet, but even she painted herself into a corner um, with her material. And, you know, I think it's been enough years now she's starting to expand again and kind of get allowing herself to be more creative. But for a decade, she got to a point where she couldn't be herself entirely because she, you know, she thought she was a young person and she followed the same paths. I think that a lot of people who are involved in this particular, you know, motivation or whatever the hell we're calling it these days. Um, my mom, God bless her. doesn't have a lot of skeletons and was able to just kind of, she was always authentic, but she didn't feel like she could allow her personality to fully shown. And so when I was actually putting the book together, my mom just kept telling me, Brendan, stay authentic, make your playing field as big as it possibly can. And I think that's true for anybody, you know, in any part of life. I think when you really show how big your personality can be, and you really show the different parts of yourself, you get to a place where your, your authenticity and your sincerity allow you a bigger playing field to play on. And what I mean by that is I can write about anything. And and I don't mean that like I'm the man and I got talent to do it. I mean, there's nothing I'm going to write in the second book that's going to offend you more than what I wrote in the first book. So I've already set the expectations. Like if you catch me coming out of a strip club on Saturday night, no one's taking pictures of me and going, Oh my God, Brendan Billy likes naked women. Like, yeah, no shit. It's in the book. (laughs) So my whole thing, my whole purpose on that is, you know, I wanted to be able to say, look like this, I'm a big, this is a big personality. I have a lot of life that I choose to experience a lot of things I like to do. I'm certainly not condoning like bad behavior, go out and do, you know, and then tell everybody about it. But that being said, if you're participating in, in those behaviors, don't be full of shit. And that's kind of my shot at the guru complex. It's like, really dude, you know, and I, I took a shot at one guy and I actually, I think I ended up taking out the book or maybe I left it. I can't remember at this point, but you know, I'm like, you're telling me that this particular guy doesn't get pissed off in traffic and tell, you know, give somebody the bird. Like, really? Like, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't even think that's the purpose of life is to get to a point where you're like, Oh, I just cut off, get got, got cut off. And I'm just going to internalize that shit and be angry about it because I'm afraid to, to express myself. You know what I mean? So, so that's kind of what I was, um, going for and I'm glad that that came across to you. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely did. I think there's a real danger in we tend to think that we're going to hit some state if we do enough of this type of stuff, we're going to hit some state where happiness is a permanent condition or we're going to float on the clouds. And I think that's damaging because that never comes. And the people who are honest say, yes, you can get better. Your, your moods can be better. You can be happier more of the time. You can live a life that's purposeful and has meaning. But there's still going to be times that you're just in a lousy mood or you're going to you're going to be depressed or you're going to be angry. And that, I, don't, I think that's the human condition. And I think the more we talk about that, the more helpful it is. Man, I 100% agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm like right there with you. And that's, and I think that to me, and, and maybe, you know, uh, maybe you'll agree because it's pretty much exactly what you're going to say, but the idea of self-help the way it's currently constructed or motivation or whatever the hell we're going to call it, the idea right now, it's set up almost the way that, you remember how uh, the, all the Cosmo magazine and Seventeen magazine and shit came under fire years ago because it was like, you're setting up these unrealistic expectations for women of what beautiful is, right? And it was like, you had these kids with eating disorders and shit because they're like looking at the covers of the magazine going, oh my God, I can't be that. So I'm going to starve myself and I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. I think it's the same thing in this, the, the genre that my book 
happens to reside. It's it's a bunch of books written by a bunch of people, and not all of them, but a, I would say a large majority that are written from a standpoint of, if you do this, this, and this, you can be just like me, and my life is incredible, yep. which is bullshit. Like, you know, I, I think all of our lives are pretty damn incredible. You get to walk around doing things that we do. I think that your your life is, is only as amazing as you make it, but the, you know, there's big money to be made in the uh, in, in kind of preying on people's insecurities. And I think, unfortunately, that's what happened. That's what, what's happened every day. And so with my book, all I wanted to do, I wanted you to come across like, man, I'm, I'm your friend. And that's the God honest truth. This is the conversation you're going to have over a beer, uh, you know, a happy hour. This is the conversation you're going to have with your, your best girlfriend, you know, uh, hanging out, eating ice cream and watching a movie on a Saturday night. Like I didn't, I, I, the last thing I would ever want anyone to accuse me of is being full of shit. I might be wrong, and I'm okay with that. I can live with wrong, but being full of shit is something I, I just couldn't stomach. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot of authenticity there. So I think we're kind of uh, ending, nearing the end of the interview here. Do you have any last things you want to leave us with uh, to, to kind of close up? Um, you know, the, the one thing I do, the you know, first thing I want to just say real briefly is just thank you to anybody and everybody who's read the book. It's, it is beyond, um, humbling and surreal, uh, the response it's gotten so far. It's been incredible. Um, the, you know, the, the feedback, the, the comments and the rankings and stuff like this on Amazon, the ratings and all that fun stuff. Uh, it's, it's literally, it's a trip. And I, I just wanted to say thank you to the readers and anybody who, who's really able to, um, take anything positive from the book and, and, uh, and just thank you for supporting it. Well, I think that covers everything. Uh, Brendan, thanks very much for joining us on the show. It was a, it was an enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Take care. All right, man. All right. Bye. Bye. You can learn more about Brendan Dilley and this podcast at oneufeed.net slash Brendan Dilley. And you know, since you're going to go get on your computer anyway and do that, uh, we'd really like you to go to oneufeed.net and email us and let us know what was your favorite episode of the One You Feed so far. Thanks.